Get your Bibles open, if you would, to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. And I want to continue tonight, if you look, if you, as you've been seeing up on the screen, the God, of, the God of restoration and the plan of God's restoration. I've talked Sunday morning about the hope there is for our families. Amen. And that God can save our families. And then I began to take it into Sunday night about talking about restoration and how God's plan is to restore us back to Him, to restore anything that's been stolen from us, from the enemy, to be restored unto Him regardless of where we've been or what we've done. God's plan is always to bring us back. Amen. And I read in John chapter 3, many, many of you know this verse and have it memorized, the, the key verse of the gospel, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. We never forget tonight that that is God's plan, that that is His purpose, that everyone would be saved. Amen? Robert made a very good point at the prayer time. The bottom line is, the fact is, the truth is, many people are not going to go to heaven. But it is not because of God's lack of plan or lack of salvation. It's simply because people don't want to accept God's plan. Amen? It's simply because we don't want to understand that... Uh, the things of this world are not worth, amen, losing our salvation. I was talking to someone just last week and reminding them that the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What good is it to have a little bit of time? So you need to do the math in your own walk with God and those that you know, those that you're witnessing to, and you just say, hey, if, if, I'm, in a, if I'm living in sin and I'm doing something that I know is wrong, it better be worth spending an eternity over Amen. It better be real good. And for the time I've been on this earth, I've come to find there is nothing on this earth that's worth me spending eternity in hell over. There is no pleasure. There is no money. There is no fame that's worth that. Can you say amen? amen. Then he said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. And I read out of the book of Hosea. I hope that you uh, learned some things Sunday, and I hope that you continue to read the book of Hosea meaning salvation and how God used Hosea to rescue Gomer. Amen. To go in and marry her knowing that she was going to do what she was going to do. And then not only that, go back later and restore her. That's kind of like that picture I had up there. In, our, in, our, in God's eyes, or in really in the world's eyes, or in our, the mirror of our own eyes, we look like that old chair. Right? We look messed up. We're, we're, we've, we've gone through some struggles, we've gone through some trials, we've been beat up. The world has told us that we don't have any worth. Many of us in here tonight have come through some really, really difficult pasts. Gone through some really, really difficult things. But here we are tonight redeemed. Here we are tonight restored. And how many know that God is still working on us? He's still restoring us every day. Amen. We read in that verse that our outward body is growing older and it's perishing, but our inward spirit is renewing every single day. So I want to look at another story in the Bible in 2 Samuel in just a second. But if you're taking notes, I want to give you a few things to write down for some good notes tonight about how God wants to recover and restore everything you've lost. Now here's some things... Sometimes we think, well, how many have ever lost something but couldn't remember what it was you lost, but you knew you lost something? Anybody else? Yeah? Okay, I'm not the only one here, right? 
I know I'm missing something, but I don't know what it is. Well, sometimes we can say, well, what do I need to have restored to my life? It's important to know what are some things that the devil tries to steal. We know John 10, 10 says, first, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's his plan. He wants to rob. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy everything that God has given us. How many know God's given us some good things? There's nothing greater than serving God. If you, amen. There's nothing greater than the, than the joy alone. Like Robert said at the, at the prayer again. He said that, that, that that's what really matters. Not what I'm taking or what God can give me. But the fact that I know I'm going to spend eternity in heaven is enough to make me live right for God. Amen. Knowing that eternity is waiting for me. Amen. We've got to stay on that focus. But we've got to realize there's some things on this earth that God wants us to have. Nudge the person next to you and say, wake up. Amen. It's Wednesday night. It's charge your batteries up night. Amen. All right. Just making sure you're awake. There's some things that the devil will try to steal. And as I read these things, you write them down, you're going to realize you might say, wow, I think I might be missing that right there. I've, I've been missing that. Or that where, where's that been? And number one is the first thing that the devil will try to steal from you is your first love. Your first love. You can be in this place tonight. You can have a Bible in your hand, notebook open. You can have raised your hands and the praise and worship service. And you can be in this place and have lost your first love. That was a good place to say amen. I must be talking to somebody. Amen. You can lose your first love. You can, I talked about that with marriage Sunday night. It just because you're married and have a ring on your finger doesn't mean you're in love with your spouse. Doesn't mean you have a good marriage. Oh, come on, get all quiet on me here. You got to work on that thing, right? You got to keep it fresh. You got to keep it alive. You got to keep it romantic. You got to renew your vows. Some people wait until they're 25 married, years married to renew their vows. Renew them every day. Amen. Stay in love with each other. And on that, the same thing happens with God. We lose our first love with God. I, I, I would challenge you to think tonight, are you walking a walk tonight that is the same passion that you were walking when you got saved? Amen. Think about that. Are you as excited tonight as the day you got saved? You might have lost your first love. Revelations 2 talks about that. The church of Ephesus. And he says you've lost your first love. Another thing is that you can lose, that God needs to re- restore to you, is your joy. Your joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah says. Amen. These are some things that, man, if you lose your joy, you're in trouble. And you might be in a place in your walk where you are sad or depressed. And, hey, I've been there. I've been through some depression. I've been through those times where I knew I was saved and I knew I was living for God, but I wasn't happy. And the devil had stolen my joy and I had to take it back and be excited and learn how to be restored unto me the joy of my salvation. Amen. Another thing that you can lose. Actually, before I move on, remember this. No joy means no strength. Maybe you're weak tonight. Maybe you're feeling tired in your spirit. You need to get more joy. Another thing, third thing, is your peace. How many know you can lose your peace? Amen. Your peace can be gone. I'll tell you what, if you begin to look at that word and you begin to think about peace today in that world we live in, peace is something we really need. We can we can we can go to sleep at night and sleep good in peace in the midst of turmoil. We know the verse says in John 14, 27, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give unto you, not as the world gives. 
I give unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen. Maybe as I'm reading some of these things, they're coming to you and you're saying, hey, I need, to, I need that restored to me. I need that to be restored. Number four, your home. Your home, your family. Maybe tonight your home and your family is not at the place that it once was. That you would like it to be. I want to read this. Families and churches reflect the nature of God. Amen? Families and families in the church reflect the nature of God. So Satan's plan is to destroy the family. Amen? Satan's plan is to destroy the group and the nucleus of God's family. Not only the individual family, but the church family. He's constantly working, he's constantly looking and searching and watching who's weak, who's fleshly, who he can come in through so that he can divide and mess with the family so that the family, the general family of God is not strong. When the family of God is strong, the church is strong. When the church is strong, it's because of a strong family. Amen? As long as we stay together and we don't allow the devil to steal that, God will move powerfully. The, the verse says in 1 Timothy 5.8 that we, how can we neglect our own families? We, we, can't, we can't be so worried about everything else and neglect our own families. My responsibility tonight, first and foremost, before being responsible to you, is to my wife and my daughters. To be the best husband I can be, to be the best father I can be. Amen? Number five, one more thing. These are just some things to think about that you might need to be restored to you. Your future. Your future. That means where you're going, for one, and it also means your ministry. Some of you got what ministry? You have a ministry. Every single one of us have a ministry. Now, you can go all the way to heaven uh, rejecting it, but you're going to have to pay up one time or another. Amen? You're going to have to eventually answer for the ministry the Lord has given to you. You can sit back and say, you know what, I just don't really feel like answering that. I really don't feel like I'm capable. I really don't feel like I just feel like doing that, and that's fine. But the Bible says, according to the talents, that one day you're going to stand before God. He's going to say, I gave you five. What would you do with them? Well, I just didn't feel like using them. I gave you two talents. What would you do with them? Well, I just didn't feel like doing it. I, I, got, I just was busy. Come on, that's another message. But your ministry, he could, he could be coming in tonight and getting you to a place of complacency where you don't really care about anything else but yourself. You get to a place where you say, well, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm fulfilled. I have peace. But God has never, ever asked us to worry just about ourselves. He has called us to go. He has called us to preach the gospel to all nations and make disciples. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand as I move on tonight, but I want you to think about this. Are you making disciples? I thought that was your job. No, 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 no. That's everybody's job. We should be multiplying. There should be at least one or two or 50 people in our lives that we are impacting. Not only to lead them to salvation, but that we're impacting them in a way that they're being discipled by us. And they're learning from our actions. Amen? That's your ministry. That's your future. You touching others. Amen? How? By not letting your past continue to remind you. Amen? 
but to begin to look towards the future. Okay? So those are a few things that I wanted to point out before we get into this story. If you look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, say amen if you're there. I read about Hosea and Gomer, and I want to read a little bit about David tonight. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now, obviously, just like the story the other day, as we read this, we realize more happened here than just the verses that we're reading. She didn't just get pregnant and have a child overnight. But we do know that what happens here is we're looking at David, one of the most mighty men of God, allowing possibly that last one I was just talking about, allowing his household and his future to be affected by his decisions. And we begin to see here, I'm going to bring it back in that God is a restorer, but how many know to be restored, we have to realize where we went wrong? Let me say that again. To be restored, we have to realize where we went wrong. If you don't realize, it's just like an alcoholic or a drug addict that has problems, they'll say the first thing you have to do is realize or admit, I have a problem. Many people today are blinded by the enemy and he's got us comfortable in our walk and we're doing things we know we're not supposed to do and we keep on doing them over and over again and somehow in some way think, well, I'm never going to have to pay the fiddler for this. How many know you're going to have to pay the fiddler for your sin? The wages of sin, the Bible says, is still, still death. Amen? And so we see David here, and we see that he is full, filled with lust. We see that he is looking on another woman who is uh, bathing outside, and he is a married man. Okay? I want to throw out tonight, church, and remind you as we move forward that the Bible still says... That adultery is still adultery. And fornication is still fornication. And the last time I read the Bible, the Bible says those two people will not go to heaven. Oh, no, no amen there? That's what it says, right, Pastor Chris? I didn't make that up, right? That's what it says. Fornication and adultery. Now, just uh, we got most of the young kids out of here. So just to remind you what that is, fornication is sexual impurity. Outside of marriage. Outside of marriage. That means two people that are not married are doing something they shouldn't do, and that's called fornication. Okay? And in God's eyes, that's a bad thing. The other one is adultery. Many people, for years, I heard people get these confused, didn't know the difference. Adultery is the same thing, but you're married. And you're committing that with somebody else when you're married. Okay? So the Bible says in, in, that, that that's still wrong today. And David fell in that way back in the Old Testament. And what happens is 
The reason he fell is because he got to a place where he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He got lazy. One of the worst things you can do tonight as a believer is get lazy. And it attacks every single one of us. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel, how many know we can get into that? I don't feel like doing these things. I know I'm not the only one that struggles with those things. I struggle with them as a pastor. My flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. But I know I've got to do them because if I get to a place of laziness, I said this Sunday night, there is nobody who is exempt from falling. Nobody. And we're seeing that right here in the Bible as David was one of God's mighty men. And we know the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. What happened? He got to a place where he began to say, you know, I'm doing really good. You know, we're winning all the battles. You know, I'm, they're singing songs about me. You know, I've really arrived. And in our minds, we can begin to think that maybe in your job, maybe in your career, maybe even in your marriage or in your walk with God, you begin to get to a place where you think, I am somebody. Okay? And now, let me just take a time out from this story real quick and show you something very important. Go over real quick to the book of Galatians. Hold your spot there in Isaiah and go to Galatians chapter 6. I want to remind you tonight how important it is to remember that we all can fall. Say that I can fall. Right? We can all fall. Now, the only way you're going to fall is if you let yourself be in the position to fall. Okay? Someone can come push you over, but we fall because we allow ourselves to get to a position of weakness. And so this is, a, this is why we come to church. This is why we pray. This is why we fast. This is why we spend time in the Word. This is why we do discipleship. So we can realize the things that set us up. Why did God give us this Bible? So we could learn from it. So we don't have to fall into the same place David did. So we don't have to go through the same things Gomer did. We can learn from this Bible and say, hey, you know what? I think God's trying to teach me something here. I'm not going to do that. Let me pay attention here for a second. See if God can teach me something so that I don't fall in that same trap. But guess what? I got some news for you. People fall. And we can never get to a place, and we've all been there, that we watch and look around and, and see other people struggling and begin to think, man, they're just so weak. Man, they're just, they just don't got it together. I have to make sure I don't get that way. I have to make sure that I stay compassionate to the weakness of people. And trust me, it's a hard thing. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I, I have a hard time seeing people struggle and fall. But I can never forget what God brought me out of. Right? That's what happens sometimes. We forget what we came out of. That's one of the biggest struggles with somebody who's been saved for a long time, is that you begin to, to get to a place of, of, of I've arrived, and you don't do it on purpose. It's not like you do it on purpose. It's the devil just, you know, telling you, hey, you're doing pretty good. You know, you, do, you are pretty spiritual. Man, you prayed for like 30 minutes the other day. Man, you read two chapters. You haven't missed a tithe in six months. 
I mean, all, these devils just throw that stuff in there on you because we're carnal. We begin to get to a place where we see somebody struggling and we forget that was me. That was me. And the longer you've been saved, the easier it is to get that way. But let me show you what Galatians 6 says, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Watch that. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So that just stop there for a sec. That means that in the plan of restoration, God is trying to use us to restore somebody else. And we must get down on their level and understand that if I could fall just like them. That could very easily be me. I need to stay here for a second. Because we're all like that. I have to remind myself that could be me. Sometimes I talk about the drug addicts I've ran into in Costa Rica. And and God has to remind me that could have been you. People I ran into that at one time preached the gospel. Were pastors. Stood up in a pulpit, had a marriage, had a family, served God, and now they've fallen and they're on the street and they're sleeping on the street and they're eating garbage and they're in drugs. What is the difference between me and him? I could have fallen just like him. And I have to remind myself that I can fall. And so God is saying, restore them, but not in a way that says, hey, I'm going to help you because you need me to help you because I've got it more together than you do. Not in that kind of spirit, but in a spirit of, you know what? I realize at this moment I'm up and you're down. And I'm going to make sure you come up because there might be someday I might be down. And I need you to pick me up. Right? And that doesn't even have to go to, the, fur, to the, like the furthest extent of a great humongous sin. That could just be the simple struggle of depression or financial problems or sickness or just battling with something. How many know we all at different times are down and we need someone to lift us up? This is God's plan of restoration. His plan is always that we would be compassionate to each other's needs. And I'm reminding myself how hard this is because I can look at David and I can say, what a loser. Why would he do that? Why would he go and, 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 and sin on his wife and commit adultery with that woman. He, he, was, he was having that relationship with a woman that was married. She was married in this story. And he did not think about that. He allowed his flesh to overcome him and do something. And we can look at him and say, man, that's horrible. And like I said the other day, the greatest testimony Sunday night, I said, is no drugs, no alcohol, no sex before marriage. You've done all those things. You've, you've, you've made those choices. That's still the best testimony. But sometimes because we've lived that kind of life, we can forget where people came from. Amen? Are you all still with me? So he says, let's read on real quick and get back to the story. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How many know that's hard? No one knows that's hard, I guess. Just me. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Watch this. For each one 
shall bear his own load. So at the end of the day, I got to give an account for Blake. Dylan has to give an account for Dylan. Miss Betty's got to give an account for Miss Betty. I got to bear my own load. But how many know that when we bear each other's loads, it's easier? Right? How many have ever had someone just come up and say, you're going to make it? That goes a long ways. You can make it. Amen? Why did David fail? Because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He should have been doing what he was supposed to be doing. He should have been out fighting with his men. If you really think about it, if you'll be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing, things are going to be right. Right? Right place, right time, doing the right thing. Right. You can't mess up. It's when you get into that wrong place. Has anybody ever been in the wrong place? Yes, of course. What do we do? We get out of it fast. Right? We get out of that wrong place fast, get to the right place fast, and repent fast. Amen. And say, I'm sorry. I'm, I still believe that you can be in the wrong place at the wrong time, starting to do the right thing. Sorry, wrong thing. And quickly repent and get out before the sin happens. The Bible says that there's no temptation given unto man that he hasn't given us a way out. We've got to find a way out quick. So what happens after this sin? David then tries to cover up his adultery. So Uriah doesn't know it was his baby. He's out fighting. He's out doing the right thing. And David finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant. Let's continue to read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 10. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, did you not just come from a journey? And why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink? And to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also. And tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. When this doesn't work out, his plan to cover up, he then goes one step further. How many have learned that when you begin to make a mistake... The worst thing you can do is make another one. When you've made a lie, the worst thing you can do is lie again. Because those lies begin to be like a big snowball. And they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I know nobody in here has ever done this. You begin to lie so much, you can't remember what the truth is. I know nobody's done that. I know no one's ever gotten that. I know I'm not talking to anybody in this place. That's the worst when you have forgotten your story. Right? So the best thing to do is, although it hurts, is just tell the truth. Right? Tell the truth. Just tell the truth and don't try to cover that lie up with a lie. And he does. And we know that he sends Uriah out to the front lines to be killed. So he has had his way. He has committed adultery. He didn't learn from Uriah coming back and speaking, though. And I want you to notice something. I kind of ran over this to see if anybody would think about it. How many know that sometimes 
when you're around somebody, God will speak through that person to you. And if you'll listen, he can save you from the next sin. When Uriah came back, I don't know if you noticed that, he spoke some prophetic words and said, The ark in Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? Pretty strong. Should I go do that? So he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know what he was saying, but God was speaking through him. And here's what I've learned over the years. You make a mistake, okay, but fix it. Right? Fix it quick. So you don't fall into a bigger one. He could have right there said, been pierced in his heart and said, man, I, he just spoke to me. I shouldn't, I, should, I shouldn't go any further. But then he goes on to the next step. He didn't receive the rebuke of the Lord. Okay? How many know every service and every day when we come to church, we hear the word and we're praying during our day. The Lord is consistently and constantly speaking to us. Not condemning us, but convicting us. Right? All the time. Hey, work on that. Hey, work on this. Hey, fix this. Hey, don't do that. And we have to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because God's plan all day long is to restore us. He is not standing around waiting. He, you think he wanted David to go to that next step? You think he wanted David to fall? He, wasn't, he was trying to deal with him. I guarantee you, on the rooftop as he's looking down, the Holy Spirit is telling him, stop looking at her. And he didn't listen. And he continued to lust. And he continued to do it. And then the act happened. And I, I just want you to see tonight that it's not, sometimes we look at the plan of restoration of God as this one humongous big thing. And it can be a final product, product of restoration. But God's plan of restoration and the work of his restoration is daily. It's the little things. When he speaks to you on the little things, those little foxes that spoil the vine. Okay, so he goes on and not only becomes an adulterer, but he becomes a murderer. And he's not done yet. Then he goes and marries her to fix the problems. And in the Bible, I said, I got ahead of myself on this. The Bible still says that the wages of sin is death. Okay? Now this is important. Tonight, you may be living the consequences of the wages of your sin. Even being saved. Okay? When we talk about mixed families and mixed church and mixed problems and situations and all these things, we get to a place where we're realizing now, hey, I am saved. I believe that the Lord has redeemed me. I am forgiven, but I am still living the consequences of some of the things I did. Okay? Just a generic example of that is the, that person who, who got saved at 65 years old and smoked for 40 years. Just a generic example. Can God heal that person's lungs? Of course. This most likely that person's going to die of lung problems. His soul is forgiven. He's forgiven. But he's done damage to his body. And he has 40 years worth of smoking on his lungs. And that person's probably going to die of cancer. How many get what I'm saying? There's still the sin. The wages of sin is death. Sometimes it's not an eternal death, but it's a death to the members of your body. 
It's the death to the destiny that God has for your life. Think about this, because sometimes we don't see the big picture. I could say, well, I might be able to get away with this one sin, but I don't understand that that one sin might not cause me to go to hell, but it is affecting the destiny that God has for my life. It's affecting the big picture. It might be affecting the salvation of somebody's life. How many know that we're affecting people every single day? What's the key? The heart of David. Here's where the heart of David comes. Before it comes, though, he suffers loss. Because God is a just God. That baby is born and it's sick. And God says, I'm going to take that child. And David fasts. And David prays. And David wants that baby to live. And that baby dies. He loses that baby. The wages of his sin was the loss of that baby. Listen, that baby went to heaven. Stop on this. That baby went to heaven. That baby, we can be joyful when a baby dies at a young age because we know they didn't have to go through this life and they go to heaven. That's the only reason I get happy when I hear that a baby has died, especially in a bad situation. I say, God, thank God. You submit, some of y'all might have heard about that story just happened with some guy who left his baby in the car while he was texting on the phone and uh, left, it, left him in there all afternoon like a two-year-old baby. He died in the, in the car. It's a big thing on the news right now. That, thank God that baby's in heaven. But going back to this story, church, watch this. That, that affected, that, that decision of David affected the destiny of that child. The future. Who knows, you know, all these babies that are getting aborted every year. How many of those babies were going to be a Billy Graham? Or a Ruth Graham Lotz? Or, or somebody who's going to make a difference on the, a Ruth? A Mary Magdalene, somebody who is going to change Mary, somebody who is going to do something awesome. You get what I'm saying? That destiny of that child was affected because of David's thoughts, because of David's lust, because of David's uh, problems. And he affected the life not only of his child, he affected the life of Uriah. He affected the life of his wife, Bathsheba, losing that child. How many are following me tonight? So God's plan of restoration is there. But the key is we need to think before we act. David says in Psalms 51, you don't have to look at it for time. You know it, create in me. We sing the song. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And watch this. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You're going to see some of the things I read in the beginning. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So we know that this is a sad story. We know that there was some loss. But we also know that the Bible says in that same verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The gift of God is Jesus Christ and eternal life. His plan is to restore. We know how David finished. Look at all the people in the Bible that finished bad and finished good. 
Model their lives. If they finished bad, don't do what they did. If they finished good, do what they did. Amen? Model their lives. Charles Spurgeon said, Our sinful ways can sap our joy and isolate us from the Lord. But confession and repentance, though, provide the way to be restored. Amen? Confession and repentance. As I close tonight, let me remind you what repentance is. It means you're sorry for what you did. And it doesn't mean that you're just asking Him to forgive you so you can do it again. Can you say amen? Amen. Come on, don't get quiet on me. This is the Wednesday night service, amen? Amen. This isn't the Sunday morning, folks. I can speak straight to you, amen? Amen. Repentance brings healing. Repentance and, and, and confession to the Lord brings healing to your life, brings restoration to your life. God is willing to forgive us. But He's looking for a heart that says, I'm not asking you to forgive me, God, so I can fall again. I'm asking you to forgive me because I don't want to fall again. As we've talked about grace many times, for anybody that's new and hasn't heard this, my thought on grace is that grace is for us when we fall, not so we can fall. Amen? Grace is for when we fall. My grace is sufficient for you. He knows us. You know, it goes back to that thought where it says, I I, I bear my own burden. I know me. And you know you. Nobody knows you better than yourself. You need to be real with yourself. And you need to know where your traps are. My traps are not your traps. And your traps are not her traps. And her traps are not his traps. Everybody has different things we struggle with. So we cannot look at somebody else's life and say, they're struggling like I'm struggling. Because no, their struggle is different than my struggle. We all have different temptations. Something that would bother me and tempt me would not tempt you. And something that tempts you would not tempt me. So it's not the same. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We say, God, if there's a spirit in me that's not right, change it, Father. Because restoration is and always has been the full plan of God. How many know God wants to restore everybody? In this place tonight, wherever you're at, in your walk, God wants to restore you. I remind you that if we confess with our sins, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? Now I want to end with this. Listen to these words. 1 John 2, if you're taking notes still, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you, Watch this, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So if he says there, so that you may not sin, how many know that God gives us the power to be able to say no? Right? He gives us the power to say no. And so we have to have an attitude of God, I I know I could fail, but I don't want to fail. Don't just play that I'm weak card. I'm just so weak. That's a justification. Everybody's weak. 
We're all sinners. We've all fallen. So don't play that card. I'm weak. God knows you're weak. We're all weak. Play the card of God. I don't want to sin, but if I do, I know I can go to the Father. If I make a mistake, I can go to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. I just read a couple stories. This last couple services, there's thousands of stories in the Bible. And every time, it's God's plan to restore. How many times did he reach out to the Israelites and reach out to the Israelites and reach out to the... And they kept rejecting him and he kept on and they kept rejecting him and they kept on. In case you weren't here Sunday night, I asked this question. I want to ask it again so you think about it. If I told you tonight that if you gave your life right now, right now, if you died for the cause of Christ right now, 500 people would go to heaven because of it. I don't think there's anybody in here that wouldn't take that. I can't speak for you, but I think that's, I I, I say pretty clearly that you probably would think about it for a second and say, yeah, I'll do it. I know I would. If I I gave my life right now, yesterday I did that, we did that funeral and five people got saved. If I knew even five, but 500 is a lot more, 500 people would go into eternity. If I gave my life, I would do it. I'd have a good talk with my wife and kids, and I'd say, see you in heaven, and we're going to have a great reunion with those 500 people. Right? Who wouldn't do that? But what if I told you, same deal, but no guarantee that any of them would get saved? That changes things. That's what the world calls game changer. Right? I'd have to really think about that hard. I could probably say, I might, I might just start up and say, I, I don't think I'd do it. Especially if there's no guarantee. No one would get saved. Guess what? That's what Jesus did. Right. He came and died for us while we were sinners. And with no guarantee that we would serve him. And he would do it again for one person. Amen? He would do it again. That's restoration. That's the plan of God. I could get into a whole lot of other stories in the Bible, but I want to leave you with three last things to write down. How to be restored. How to be restored. Three things. These are three simple things. I started off with some things that you might have lost. Your love. Your joy, your peace, your home, and your future. Those might be some things that you have lost along the way. Maybe you've lost them and got them back, lost them and got them back, lost them and got them back. That's kind of par for the course. You lose, you gain, you lose, you gain. Mountain, valley, mountain, valley. How many have realized serving God, there's mountains and valleys, mountains and valleys, wins and losses, struggles, good times, gain, loss, right? Anybody? Know what I'm talking about? That's, that's, walk. that's the walk. And so along the way, you might have lost some of those things, and tonight you can get them back. Right now, tonight. You can get it all back. But here's the key. I said on Sunday, I can't remember if it was Sunday morning or Sunday night when I talked about Noah. I think it was Sunday night. I began to read 
that story of, of when he got his children to go in to the, to the ark with him. And when he did that, the Bible says he did as the Lord said. So he obeyed. Okay? This is a key to your joy, to your love, to your peace, to your home, to your family, to your ministry, to your future. This is a key. That once you stand under the word of God and you know what's right, you obey. Can I say that again? Once you stand under the word of God and it has been preached to you and the Bible says these are the things. I didn't get into the fruits of the spirit and the fruits of the, and the, and the, the works of the flesh or get into those verses where it talks about the list of things that will not inherit. I mentioned a couple will not inherit the kingdom of God. God is very clear. That's one of the things I love the most about God is he's not some God that I'm finding something out new all the time. And as I go, oh, I didn't know that. As far as the things he expects of us. I mean, oh, he, he's pretty clear. He says, you do these things, you can go to heaven. You do these things, you're not going to go. So once I learn that those things are wrong, I got to stop doing them. And Jesus went so far to say, if my, if my hand causes me to sin, I cut it off. That's not taught a lot nowadays. That's, that's holiness. Now, of course, it doesn't mean I'm going to cut my hand off. Or if your eye caused you to stumble, pluck it out. Can you imagine that people showing up with no eyes and no hands. And, but he, what he means is take this serious. If you know now this is sin, stop doing it. Okay, so the first one is repent. Three things. The first one is repent. But again, repent means, okay, I know this is wrong. I'm not going to do it again. Okay? Now listen, I'm not talking about the mistake you make during the day. I think we're smart enough to know here tonight the difference of what I'm talking about. The habitual sin and the sin we make as human beings. Getting mad and having to say, I'm sorry about that. Those little things. Letting a word slip out. Being angry. All those different things that just come upon you. I'm talking about planned out sin. Y'all still here? Okay, just making sure. I know this is wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. And then I'll come back on Sunday and I'll ask the Lord to forgive me. Listen, you know why I talk about this so much? Because I've been there and I've done it. That's how I was in high school. But you know what? I didn't have this kind of teaching telling me not to do it. I'm not trying to blame the pastor. But I didn't have somebody telling me, hey, stop. I'm just doing my job tonight telling you, stop. You know it's wrong. Don't do it anymore. Repent. Come to the Lord like David did. Say, God, I'm sorry I made that mistake. Look at how God restored David. That shows you he'll do it. Number two, begin to walk in the Spirit. Okay, begin to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. You can't expect to stop sinning if you keep walking in the flesh. That means you need to go back and look at what you did to fall. Whatever it is you did, you need to stop doing that. You need to learn and say, okay, that, that made me fall. I shouldn't do that. Okay, I definitely cannot hang around with that person. I definitely can't call that person. I definitely can't. How many get what I'm saying? You've got to go back and look at why I fell. So if I fell 
because of something or somebody or a phone call or a friend or an acquaintance or a situation, then I've got to cut ties with that situation if I don't expect to fall again. When somebody gets saved and gives their life to the Lord strong and really wants to change, they probably need to go about two years cutting off with those people before they go back and talk to them again. And if they ever go back and talk to them again, they need to go back with some people with them. Because those spirits will come back real strong. You need to sever those ties and make new friends. And the best friends are the ones that are walking in the same direction you are. And trying to do the same things you are. Walking in the spirit has some common sense to it too, don't it? Amen. And the third thing is this. Go and sin no more. What did Jesus say as I close and the musicians are coming on that great story in the Bible with the adulterous woman? What an awesome story. You've all seen the movie. You've seen the videos. You've seen the pictures. They bring to Jesus that adulterous woman and they're condemning her. And all those men and women are the holier than thou's that have no sin. Right? They have no sin. Y'all still with me? They have no sin at all. They've done nothing wrong. They are perfecto. They're perfect. They look good. And they bring her to Jesus. They go, Jesus, this woman is an adulterer. She she has committed sin. She's a prostitute. She's, She's messed up. Take care of her. We said, we're going to stone her. You know the Bible says we're supposed to stone her, right? Right? Wages of sin is death. Jesus gets down on the sand, begins to ride around. It's all kinds of theological things of what he was writing. You can throw all kinds of crazy stuff in there. He could have been writing down all the things they were doing as they were standing by him. But he looks to her, to them, and says, Okay, we're going to do the stoning. But whichever one of you perfect people out there has never sinned, you throw that first stone. This goes back to Galatians 6, where we restore one another. Come on. They've got them rocks, and the truth shall set you free. That person begins to look, because in the presence of God, and under the anointing of God, there's 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 a remembrance and an understanding of who God is. And even though they were religious and lost, they knew they could not lie in the presence of God. And they looked at those stones and said, I can't throw it. And they began to drop their stones one by one until what the Bible says says all of them were gone. And that's one of the most awesome stories in the Bible. They're gone. And she's got her head down and she's weeping and she's waiting for those stones to hit her. How many know when you've really messed up, you don't really need anybody to tell you how bad you messed up? You need someone to tell you, get up. Amen. Get up and go forward. Change. Hey, she looks up and he goes, where are your accusers? And she was probably as surprised as you could possibly understand. Nobody was around. There was just dust. But here's the key. All that's beautiful. But the key word is, 
He says, where's your accusers? No, Lord, I don't see any. Neither do I condemn you. Okay? But he didn't leave it there. Neither do I condemn you. So it could have been left there. Well, just get up and then, you know, I'll forgive you next time too. But he, he said these words, go and sin no more. Right? And that's the key. That's the key. Repent, walk in the Spirit, and don't do it again. Okay? And that's the plan of restoration. And that's the plan God has for all of us. And you know what? Along the way, it's hard. Dealing with people's hard. Because sometimes you just want to slap them with the brick of common sense. Right? It's hard. But God has to remind me all the time, that's why I'm here. That's why the church is here. You've seen that, st- that statement, that thing, that post. You've seen b- billboards. You've seen it written down. You've seen all kinds of places. It says that the church is a hospital. Not a religious place. It's a hospital. It's a place where people can get help. And no emergency room tonight would turn someone away because they were too bloody. Right? We can't help you. You're too bloody. And as a church, we need to do our best to be like that. We're going to have our days where our our patience is very short. And we don't want to deal with it. But let those days be few. Because there's some really lost people that really need some hope. How many know tonight as we talk Sunday morning about our families and the hope of their salvation, how many would hope that someday as your family member comes into the church, that they would come into a place where they would be looked at for restoration and not for condemnation. Right? And you know what we stand for. We preach the truth. We're not going to stand here and say what people do is okay. We preach the truth. We preach the gospel. And let God do the work. Let God do the convicting. And let us do the helping and the encouraging and the praying. Okay? Somebody's asking you, hey, what should I do in this situation? Tell them what the Bible says. The Bible says that's, that's a sin. The Bible says this will happen. The Bible says, and then you can help them from your own situations and your own failings and your own problems. But church, it's God's plan to restore. Always will be, always has been. Amen. Tonight.